All right, so last week we started a new sermon series, hashtag blessed. Uh, you know, I explained that a little bit. We're going to be looking at the Beatitudes for the next several weeks. It'll take us to the end of November. And so the idea is we, we are addressing the fact that there are many in our society who have this, I guess you could say, skewed idea of what it means to be blessed, right? Generally, people think, oh, for it to mean blessed, it just means good things happen to me. Right, and so we were challenging that assumption that you, you are blessed simply because good things happen to you. But there is more to that as we see in Matthew chapter 5. And so one thing that we notice is that when Jesus goes through the Beatitudes, he, he says that they are blessed because blank. Right? And the first week talked about how the poor in spirit or those in spiritual poverty are blessed because theirs is the kingdom of Heaven, And we talked about how we are a people who are in spiritual poverty and we need to recognize that so that we may receive the kingdom of heaven. And so this week in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So again, from last week, recall who the audience is. We saw in chapter 4 that Jesus, he's speaking to people who are afflicted. Right? There are people who are sick, there are people who are diseased, and now I didn't, I didn't touch on this part, but these kinds of people, the people who have diseases in their context would have been just viewed as outcast. Right? So these people with leprosy, whatever sickness, they would have been cast out from their home and they would not have been allowed to worship God in their temple. Right? So the people that Jesus is talking to, they're, they're people who would not have felt blessed. And again, that word for blessed has connotations of being in God's favor, and so they would not have felt that. After all, society says I'm not. After all, society says that this is the result of my sin. But Jesus, he challenges this. He looks at these afflicted people. He looks at the, these people with diseases and tells them, no, you are blessed, and here's why. And so in verse 4, blessed are those who mourn. Why? Because they shall be comforted. Now, admittedly, going into this topic, I was not confident in preaching about blessed are those who mourn, uh, mainly because I'm not that good at mourning, okay? Now, that might be kind of be weird to say somebody's good at mourning, oh, they're a really good crier, but what I mean when I say I'm not a good mourner is that I tend to stuff my feelings. I'm going to be honest with you, I tend to stuff my feelings, whether it be, you know, I, I think I shouldn't burden someone with what is going on inside of me, or maybe I think it's not that big of a deal, right? One way or another, sometimes I stuff my feelings, and just as it's kind of ironic, or not ironic, but convenience, I'm wearing this shirt. Now, this looks like a normal shirt, but this shirt was actually my grandpa's. Uh, my grandpa's shirt, he passed away in 2006, and so that was the first time growing up that I experienced a loss of a family member. Now, obviously, as a six-year-old, I was, and some of you are like, wow, six? Uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but as a six-year-old, I didn't fully understand what was going on. I remember a few things, probably some of my earliest memories. I remember uh, standing beside the casket, looking in the casket, seeing him there lying, and I remember uh, one family friend tell me, hey, he was a good man, right? He was a good man, and so and then I remember at the funeral, I'm at the graveside service, I remember them listing the names of who survived him. And I remember from that just being upset because I didn't think I heard my name called. It's like, are you kidding me? I'm one of his descendants. Anyway, uh, but that's aside the point. And so that was the first time. And obviously, as a six-year-old, you don't really know how to mourn or process that kind of thing fully as we do 
later on, but maybe not even later on, maybe sometimes, like me, you stuff your feelings. You don't really process things. You don't really mourn. So what does it mean to mourn in the first place? Well, mourning or lamenting is a time of deep emotional stress, right? It's a time of grief. Now, Vicky and Eddie can attest to this since they're helping uh, Fran and Joe move, right? It's a time of deep emotional stress, right? You're mourning, right? And so this is what mourning is. It's pretty straightforward, deep emotional stress. Now, I don't think there's a single person free from this. Right? Every single person on earth at some point will feel this deep grief, this pain. Now, just as some technical things, some of you might zone out at this point. I just want to touch on this. Now, in the Old Testament, what we see with mourning is that they had sort of a set practice. Right? Now, there wasn't a law that prescribed how they ought to mourn, but essentially the Jews, their practice was they would have seven days of mourning. So on the day the person would die, they would be buried that same day, and then they would have seven days of mourning, and the family and friends, they would gather in the house of mourning for seven days. Typically, they would not groom themselves for that seven days, and maybe even up to 30 days. Now, the seven days, it was likely uh, probably because of Numbers 19. I know this is technical, and this is nerd stuff. I know some of you are zoning out, but it's something interesting to me. Uh, Numbers 19, that's where it says that if anybody touches a dead body, they'll be unclean for seven days. So that's probably where they got this idea, okay, we've got to mourn for seven days after our loved one dies so that they may be, at the end, clean, right? Because they're unclean because they were around their loved one who had died. So with the Jews, you see, they had a set practice. They would have seven days, sometimes 30, to mourn. But with us, with Christians, with modern day, we don't really have a set practice now, do we, right? We don't say, okay, our loved one has died, we're going to have seven days just to do nothing, right? No, usually if we have the funeral on, on Saturday, then this next Monday we're going to go back to work. That's how it works for a lot of people. We don't really have a set practice. Maybe that's a bad thing. Uh, I'm not too sure, but what we see is we have sometimes, we'll have funerals that are more formal, right? You have a procession of vehicles that drive to the funeral home or whatever, uh, but sometimes it's more informal, Right, recently, I did a service. It was more of an informal memorial service for Tina Haddon's father, Joe Westfall. Now, one thing I observed, other than that it was more informal, was something, interestingly enough, beautiful. So in this service, each of, the, each of the children of Joe, they came up and they shared their memories of Joe Westfall, their father. And while they were, they were in tears sharing their memories, it was memories that were, were filled with joy. And so, yes, it was certainly sad to see them be, be such, in such pain because they lost their father, but at the same time, it was beautiful to see, see them share their memories of joy. And so in times of mourning, interestingly enough, there's times of pain, right? You feel pain, but at the same time, for us Christians, there's also beauty. Beauty because we find things worth celebrating for. Beauty because we celebrate somebody who is past Beauty because we can be honest with how we feel, but at the same time, we can recognize how God has worked in our lives. Now, this goes without saying, but really a, a sermon series could be written over how to, or not how to mourn, but rather mourning. A sermon series could be written on this, but since this is one sermon, we're going to just touch on a few things, okay? This is not a step-by-step guide, so don't leave here thinking this is exactly what I'm going to do. These are just a few things that I think are important to keep in mind, and David King David, in a few of the Psalms, he highlights a few of these things, right? So now here's the thing about Psalms, okay? There's about 65 Psalms of lament or mourning, okay? That's about over 40% of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. So go in your own time and read those Psalms, all right? It's David, he's lamenting, he's mourning, and they're, 
You can see the pain in the Psalms, but at the same time, they're beautiful. David writes the Psalms so beautifully. We're just going to take a look at a few, but in your own time, go look at the rest. So starting with Psalm 13. Psalm 13, again, just a few things we should keep in mind when we mourn. It's a short psalm, so it won't take too long. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Because, but I have trusted I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So again, just a few things. Notice a few things about this psalm. At the beginning of the psalm, David does what? He's honest with how he feels. He's honest. Verses 1 through 4. How long will, will you forget me, God? Right? David feels like God has just forgotten him. God, why have you forsaken me? What's going on? I, I don't feel like you're here. I don't feel like you're providing. I don't feel like you're, you're really uh, here to love me or to protect me. What's going on, God? He's honest. And then David, in verse 5, what does he affirm? Verse 5, he says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. So David, he's honest. But then he affirms his trust in God and specifically his steadfast love. And then lastly, what does he say? In verse 5, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. David is honest. David affirms his trust and David rejoices in the salvation that comes from God. Honesty, trust, rejoicing. Let's move to Psalm 31, verses 1 through 16. Maybe you'll see a pattern here. Psalm 31. Psalm 31, verses 1 through 16, the text says, And you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are a rock in my fortress, and for your name's sake you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction and you have known the distress of my soul. And you have not delivered me into the hand of my enemy. You have set me at my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because all my adversaries have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I've been forgotten like one who is dead. I've become like a broken vessel, for I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. 
I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servants. Save me in your steadfast love. So what elements do you see there again? Right in verse 10, David, he's honest. All right? he, he feels like he has no, no life left in, in him. He feels like he's surrounded on every side. He's honest with how he feels to God. And then in verses 6 and 14, what does he affirm? He affirms his trust in God. You know what? God, while I might feel like you're not here, like you're not with me, I still trust you. Right? Though, though things may not appear to be working out for me right now, God, I trust you. And then in verse 16, what does he say about God's steadfast love? Let's read that again. Verse 16, make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. See, God, he saves through his steadfast love, and David rejoices over God's steadfast love that saves. You see, in the Psalms of Lament, you're going to often see these three things. David can be honest with how he feels. David can trust God still, and David can rejoice in God's steadfast love that gives him salvation. So let me tell you something maybe you haven't heard before. You can be honest with God. Right, going up, that's not what I heard. I heard you, you, you can't be honest with, how you, with your feelings. You can't have a big display of emotion. You can't be honest with your pain. You can be honest. God can handle your feelings. If you feel pain, if you feel like God's not with you right now, he's big enough to handle that. Just tell him, hey God, I, I, it doesn't seem like you're here with me right now. God is big enough for you to say that to him. You can be honest with how you feel. Now, in contrast to what we see here in Psalm 13 and Psalm 31, we all know how people sometimes try to deal with their pain or their times of mourning, right? Different coping mechanisms, right? Whether it be substance, whether it be maybe a, an unhealthy relationship. People have different ways to try and numb themselves or quote-unquote, deal with their pain. But take these psalms, right? Take these psalms as an example of what we could do. Instead of trying to numb our pain by any means necessary, we should turn to God who can really comfort us. Right? Instead of trying to uh, fix your pain by coming to another flawed human being, you should turn to God who you can trust. God who has the steadfast love for you. God who will provide Salvation. Instead of trying to fix your pain by yourself, turn to God. Turn to Him and rejoice in what He can do for you. Don't turn to your, your various forms of ways to quote-unquote cope. We can go to God. Now there is something else that is very important to mourning that's not here in the psalm that I do want to note. Now David, he kind of touches on this, and this is something fulfilled in Christ uh, it's the resurrection from the dead. So turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verses 13 through 14. Paul writes, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep or dead. They may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep or have died. See, we're promised a resurrection. 
Right? We, we don't grieve, we don't mourn, we don't lament as other people do without hope. Okay? We have hope. We have a hope of a resurrection, a resurrection where we'll be in the presence of God without pain and without mourning, without crying. We have hope. And now, the word for hope here is not hope as we think of it. Some people use hope as in it could happen. But no, when Paul uses this word, it's an expectation. I have an expectation. I am confident that this is going to happen. See, we can be confident. We can have hope, an expectation that we're going to be raised just as Christ was raised. And Jesus, he promises this in John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verses 25 through 26. Now the context being the death of Lazarus, right? And Jesus comes to, to well, actually raise him, right? And so this is what Jesus says in verses 25 through 26. He says this to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Blessed are we who mourn, because we shall be comforted. See, we're going to be in pain and mourning. That's just a reality of life will have deep emotional stress. But here's the thing. When we mourn, you can be honest with God. Tell him how you feel. He will comfort you. When you mourn, trust him. He will comfort you. When you mourn, rejoice in what he has done for you. Rejoice in his steadfast love that gives you salvation. He will comfort you. And see, here's one thing you got to know. you got to know that you can have Freedom from pain and mourning. Why? Because you will be raised as Christ was raised. If you do not know this, if you do not have this hope, you can as we stand and sing.